The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss how to value and understand more about intellectual property. Joining us is Michelle Seiler-Tucker, who is the founder and CEO at Seiler-Tucker Inc., which is a mergers and acquisition company that specializes in buying, selling, growing, and fixing companies. And she's also the author of the recently published book, Exit Rich. Yesterday, Michelle and I talked about her six pillars of intellectual property, how to understand the value that you're creating for your business. And today we're going to talk a little bit about asset valuation. How do you think about actually coming up with a number for your company's value? All right, here's the second part of my conversation with Michelle Seiler-Tucker, founder and CEO at Seiler-Tucker, Inc., and author of the book Exit Rich. Michelle, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Thank you, Benjamin. Thanks for having me back. Excited to have you back. Excited to continue our conversation. Yesterday, we talked about how you define intellectual property, IP, and you have your six pillars. Let me see if I can get them right. Your brand, which is how do people recognize and think of your company. Your trademarks, can you protect your name? Your patents, can you protect your underlying inventions and technology? This is where it gets a little tricky for me. You're going to have to help me out. What was the fourth pillar of IP? Contracts. Contracts. What are the relationships that you have? The fifth pillar was database, database, what access to data. And I know the sixth pillar. The sixth pillar is what I think is the most relevant to marketers, which is what you call IP real estate, which is basically where do your marketing efforts show up? Are you first in Google? Have you built technologies and processes to easily acquire customers? Do you have a social following? Things along those lines. If anybody didn't listen to that conversation, it was really insightful to me to think about how you're creating value in your company. Michelle, you know, I think that for those of us that are working in startups, pre-exit companies, we're always starting to think about how do I figure out my asset valuation, right? It's always the goal is I'm going to build this thing so it can be acquired so I can walk off with this giant pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and go buy an island and sit on the beach somewhere. I don't think a lot of us know a lot about actually valuing an asset. So I'm going to frame this conversation related to the podcast industry. We've seen a ton of acquisition of podcasts and podcast-related companies today. 
Now, I don't know how companies are actually valuing the value of a podcast. Joe Rogan sold his podcast or the exclusive rights to his podcast for $100 million. He's got 100 million listeners, so the value of a listener is a dollar. If I have 10,000 listeners, is my podcast worth $10,000? How do you think about asset valuations for media companies? So, you know, Joe Rogan is a very big name, right? So that goes back to branding, doesn't it? I've heard of him. Let's just say that. <laughs> so that goes back to branding. And he's got, uh, would you say, a million followers? I don't know the actual number. It's hard okay. to figure out how many subscribers somebody has in podcasts, but a lot. So listen, valuations is more of an art rather than a science. And I would tell you, most people do not understand evaluations, including CPAs. And it really depends upon what is the value, because you can come up with a number, Benjamin, I can come up with a number, but at the end of the day, it depends on what that buyer is willing to pay and what the value means to them. And the way that you create even bigger value is by creating a bidding war and having multiple buyers bid on the same company. So Joe Rogan is a huge name with a huge following, and he probably has several different buyers that were interested. I'd have to go back and look at the case study. My takeaway here is that when you're valuing an asset, you can value your asset off. You can come up with numbers and try to figure what your company is worth. None of that matters unless you have somebody that's actually a buyer or willing to sort of set an official valuation for you. Yes. However, we use six different methods when we evaluate businesses, whether it's a marketing business, whether it's a podcast, whether it's manufacturing, it doesn't really matter what the industry is. Obviously, we use discounted cash flow. We use future earnings. So we look at projections. We use market comps. We use industry comps. And we value what we call the six Ps. Because if a business is operating on all six Ps, one of the Ps is proprietary that we talked about. The other P is people. And a lot of buyers will pay more money for a business that has the right team, that has the right people. So we also want to look at the financials. We want to normalize the financials. We want to look at the EBITDA and see what makes sense. But if it's an industry that we know we're going to have a lot of buyers, and if the EBITDA, now here's the tricky part. If the EBITDA is over a million dollars, then we know we'll have hundreds of buyers for that one particular business because there are more buyers for good businesses than there are good businesses to buy. And we would go to market without a price. All right. So let's do a hypothetical case study. I want to sell the MarTech podcast. For the record, I don't want to sell the MarTech podcast. I was going to say, you better be careful. <laughs> Not yet. I'm going to build a podcast network and then I'm going to sell the whole thing for a bunch of zeros. We're still too small here. Let's say I wanted to sell the MarTech podcast. It's an asset that has been developed by me, independent content creator, 700 episodes. We've got roughly a little less than 100,000 downloads a month, a million downloads a year. We think our audience is 60,000 people. Our revenue last year for this podcast alone, let's say it was $175,000. How do I figure out what the valuation of the company is with those criteria? What's the EBITDA? I have no idea. Exactly. You sound like all of my business owners right now. Because <laughs> I'm not trying to sell. Why am I looking at EBITDA? I'm looking at cash flow, right? No, because the cash flow is all relevant. Because if you make 175000 then by the time you pay for everything, let's say you only make 25000 you really need to look at what your EBITDA is, what your earnings are before interest taxes. We don't have really depreciation because you don't really have a lot of assets. But you really want to know what that cash flow is. It's not just about the gross revenues. It's about the cash flow, too. After you pay for all expenses. Now, I don't know if you have any expenses. 
let's say my expenses were $50,000 on $175,000 of revenue. It's $125,000 of profit. Okay, the business profited $125,000. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know. Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. Aren't I just looking at like a 5x multiplier of that profit? Or, you know, how do you think about figuring out what the valuation is? So because the EBITDA is way under a million dollars, it's going to be much more difficult to create a bidding war. However, you do have some IP. So you have 60,000 listeners. You have how many downloads did you say? Let's call it 100,000 a month. Okay. You probably will get somewhere between four to five, maybe over five if we find the right strategic buyer because we want to find somebody who wants your audience. So somebody who wants marketers, somebody who can monetize that, somebody who can ROI off the sale of the business. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, everybody else is just going to be focused on the EBITDA, on the cash flow. You don't want them focused on the cash flow. You want them focused on the 60,000 listeners and the 100,000 downloads. Like Facebook focused on the billion members that WhatsApp had because WhatsApp made zero. So for your type of business, we really want to focus on the 60,000 and 100,000 downloads. All I heard was 5X with $125,000, which makes the value <laughs> of the podcast like 700 grand. Dad, if you're listening, I told you this is worthwhile for me doing it. It's worth $700,000. A typical man, here's what he wants to hear. <laughs> a typical business owner, it's worth a lot of money. But here's the other problem. The podcast is you. Yeah. So when we take you out of the podcast, are the people still going to listen to you? Uh, it depends who the replacement host is. If he's got a nice voice. No, because they follow you. They listen to you. So you have created a job, not a business. And it's very difficult to sell a job because once I take the talent out of it, look at Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins had to do an ESOP because the only way he could ever sell his company was to his employees. Because once you take Tony Robbins out of the business, there is no business. Same thing with a podcast host. Now, if you had uh, lots of shows with other podcasters, that's an actual business that would be easier to sell. 
Let me play devil's advocate here. The Ringer Network, which was acquired by Spotify, uh-huh. their capstone show is the Bill Simmons podcast, which without Bill Simmons does not exist. Sure, they have all sorts of other podcasts for different sports, but 50% of their downloads come from this primary show. Mm-hmm. They sold their podcast for $280 million or something like that. Well, if they kept Bill Simmons, they might have sold it for double. They did keep Bill Simmons. That's the thing. Oh, so Bill Simmons is still there. Bill Simmons sold the ringer to Spotify, and he still does the Bill Simmons podcast. So you would have to probably still do the podcast until they came up with somebody that is better than you. And I doubt there's anybody better than you. It doesn't exist. Exactly. (laughs) All right, fine. Somebody else is going to host the show so I could sell the asset. My takeaway here is that there's a lot that goes into valuation in terms of not just looking at your financials, but the underlying value of the intellectual property. You might have a database that's worth a hundred million bucks, but your podcast doesn't make any money. You might have a podcast that's got every follower under the sun, but no data. So nobody, you can't retarget any of the users. It's worthless. It's all in the eye of the beholder. So talk to me about actually figuring out where and how to find those right buyers. Let me back up for a minute. That's okay. Because you said, well, it's all about, you know, having this. It's all about having a database. It's all about really having the six P's because if you don't have the six P's, most buyers aren't going to be interested in buying you. And number one is people. You got to make sure you have the right people. And if it's just you, it's going to be very difficult to sell. Even with marketing companies, we're selling a marketing company right now that has 45 employees. But we have another marketing company that came to us and it's just one marketing owner with two employees. So if you really want to build a business to sell, you really need to build the infrastructure. In fairness, I'm the host and the producer. There's 10 other people that work on the podcast. (laughs) There is infrastructure. But you are the talent. It's like my business. You know, everybody wants me, but I got a whole team of agents. I got a whole team of analysts, et cetera. The business is not dependent upon me. I'm a dime a dozen. There's even another Ben Shapiro that's a podcast host. All right. So now you're devaluating yourself. Yeah, but I'm hopefully appreciating the asset. <laughs> so going back to the, the original question, you said you got to have the six P's to figure out you know, how to find or that creates the value of your podcast. So as a marketer, when you're sitting here trying to think about creating value and improve your asset valuation, the marketers can't go out and hire the right talent. That's the HR team. What are things that marketers can do to increase the likelihood of a high exit? Well, the best way to prove valuation in a marketing company is number one, building on those six P's that we talked about. But here's the deal. If a marketing business is trying to sell and they have marketers, I mean, they have marketers, they have the talent. And if that talent leaves, that business is probably not sellable. So the worth is really in the marketers. The worth is in the skill sets of that marketing team. And how does that marketing team build value? Well, that marketing team builds value, obviously, in their skill sets, whether it's developing content, whether it's developing followers, whether it's coming up with some unique ways to sell books and make the New York Times bestsellers list, whatever it is that they do unique and different is what makes that company more valuable. It's like I sold a marketing company, had casinos for $10 million. Mm -hmm. They had a very, very unique marketing team. And that marketing team is what really created the value in the business. Yeah. I mean, I think that the marketing team in itself is an asset. Well, it is because you're not going to have any business if you don't have good marketers. Yeah. So your presence alone, marketers, is helping the valuation of your company. Let's talk about for the owners that are listening to this podcast, you know, the people that are running marketing businesses, what are the things that they should focus on to try to drive improved asset valuation? They want to make sure that they have the right people. They want to make sure that they have the right team in place. And they want to make sure that the business can run without them. Because if the marketing business is dependent upon them, 
and we pull that owner out of the business, there is no business. So they want to make sure they have a good marketing team. Also, a lot of times in some of these situations, I tell the owner that they need to compensate those marketers when we sell the business. Because without those marketers, there is no sale. You got to be able to retain your talent. Exactly. They need to get compensated for the sale. And a lot of owners won't do that. Some will. More reason that the marketers should get higher equity stakes. Moving on. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So the product is very important. I mean, what specific area are you in marketing? I know a guy that specifically markets on getting books on the New York Times. That's his core competency. That's his secret sauce. So you got to look at what product are you in and are you on the way up or on the way out? There's some marketing that's probably on the way out when there's other type of marketing that's on the way up. And then the other thing you got to look at when you're selling a business is processes. Is all the IP in the owner's head? Is it all in the marketing people's heads? Do we have policy and procedure manuals? Do we have SOP checklists? Do we have all this data that's documented somewhere? The other big thing, well, proprietary, and one thing that we talked about when we came back to this show was followers. How many clients do you have? Do you have contracts in place? Are they transferable? Do you have reoccurring revenues? Do you have reserve? That really increases a business is residual income, reoccurring revenues. And then you go back to your fifth P, which is patrons. Do you have diversified clientele base? Or you like my casino where 800% of their revenue came from five clients. But most businesses, it's 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your clients. And if you lose a couple of clients, you're in big trouble. We were in the process of selling this company for $10 million and they lost two casinos. And then the last thing is profits. You got to know your numbers. You got to know your financials. I would tell you profits is never the problem. It's always a symptom of not running on one of the other six Ps. If you don't have the right people in place, if you don't have the right talent, if you don't have the right this, the great thing about marketing is strategics and competitors will pay more money for the right people, for the right talent, because it's so hard to get good marketers. You heard it here first, marketers. Your presence alone increases the valuation of your company. Go ask for more equity. Go ask for a higher salary. You say Michelle Seiler Tucker said, <laughs> you're worth a lot more money. <laughs> Michelle Seiler Tucker said, you are valuable. I would say out of every other industry, programmers, software developers, marketers are the most valuable when it comes to a buyer buying a business and retaining that talent. Which begs the question, why are we always the first one out the door? Let me tell you why. I don't know if y'all realize this, but the business landscape has changed dramatically. It used to be that 85, 95% of all startups will go out of business. Now it's only 30% of startups will go out of business. 70 Out of 27.6 million companies, 70% of business owners that have been in business 10 years or longer will go out of business. And you know why they're going out of business? You hear about Toys R Us, Kmart, GNC, Godiva, all of these different businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Why they're going out of business? Because they stopped AIM. AIM is always innovate and market. They stop innovating, they stop marketing. Marketing is the last thing you cut. Even during pandemic, even during COVID, you cut other costs, you cut other overhead. Marketing is the last thing you should ever cut. You should double down on what's working. Michelle, I wish you would tell that to everybody else in the world. And we're going to stop there. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Michelle Seiler Tucker, the founder and CEO of Seiler Tucker Inc. In the third part of this interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Michelle and I are going to talk about how to resolve IP disputes. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Michelle, you can click on the link to her LinkedIn profile. You can contact her at msilertucker, which is M-S-E-I-L-E-R-T-U-C-K-E-R. 
You can visit her company's website, which is Siler Tucker, or you can go find her book, which is Exit Rich, recently published. Best place to get it is ExitRichBook.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our once a week newsletter and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish episodes every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.